So it's a nice balanced approach to the stock market where you're not fully invested and so you're not going to get the full drawdowns, but at the same time, you're earning a very nice income stream by running the option overlay. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, Mark Ray speaks with two BMO ETFs experts about investment strategies to weather the current environment. Before we hear from our experts, We'd like to remind you that when buying and selling ETFs, it's best to avoid trading near the open and close of the market, especially during periods of heightened volatility. We also recommend using limit orders and revisiting those orders regularly during the day, given that markets may continue to shift dramatically in these turbulent times. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Ray. I'm the head of product for BMO GAN Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. Today, we'll be joined by Chris Heeks and Chris McKaney to once again speak about markets, give us an update on what's going on in the world of ETFs, uh, provide us some, some insights into trading activity, and of course, give us some good speaking points to bring back to our client conversations. So thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Let's start, Chris, with an update on the markets. We've seen the equity markets come back very strongly over the last week plus, although this morning we can see the futures are off about 3-plus percent. At the same time, North America has really been caught in the grip of the COVID-19 outbreak. The news overnight is, here, even here in Canada, we are seeing the, uh, the creation of temporary hospital space, um, I believe out in Burlington at Joseph Brand Hospital. So still a lot of anxiety as we, as we read the news. So is this temporary in terms of a recovery, or is it much more sustainable? And, you know, when we look at this volatility, should we expect it to start to drop, or is it really going to be at a heightened level of volatility, I think, for the next few months? And within the context of that, despite that, the governments and central banks even have enough ammunition to deal with the shutdown, particularly if it gets prolonged, or is all this temporary recovery far more rational than perhaps some are thinking? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, um, you know, with COVID-19, you know, we're really just starting to see the beginning uh, in North America, unfortunately, and uh, Trump's health advisors saying it could be 100,000 to 250,000 uh, deaths is what they're estimating right now, and we're nowhere near that. So uh, we're really just starting. Um, like you said, markets did bounce back uh, quite strongly, almost 15% kind of off the bottom in, in the middle to later March. And I think you know, in terms of how we handicap that, will this be a temporary correction? I have no doubt that this will be temporary. I mean, I think the important question is how long is temporary? You know, what is, is temporary a month, three months, a year, or a couple of years? So I think uh, to your point, um, volatility will continue to be an issue, something that clients I think are going to have to na navigate for several months. Um, at the same time, I do see this as something that, you know, we will eventually overcome. For instance, look at, you know, Spanish flu as being the last great kind of pandemic about 100 years ago. It was also in the middle of a world war. These are 
almost distant memories to us now. And certainly uh, the economy did recover quite well. So from, from there for the next 10 years, so before there was any further further issues with the Great Depression. So um, I think, you know, we're in a good place to recover. I think it's, you know, quite an extreme kind of environment we're all living in. Um, I'm working from home right now, as I assume many, if not all others on this call are. And, you know, the response in terms of how to deal with this pandemic has been very strong. But I think, you know, the point I would make in terms of the, the ammunition of the governments and central banks is their policy response has been just just as strong. I mean, we're talking almost a $3 trillion fiscal stimulus package in the U.S. Uh, the Bank of Canada has essentially cut 1.5% interest rates in the last month. You know, they've bought mortgages to free up liquidity on bank balance sheets. They've enhanced, you know, other liquidity facilities. So, the way I see it, this is this is an extreme kind of um, global crisis right now, but we are seeing total commitment as well from governments and central banks to do everything they can to manage it. So um, I do think that the, the thought that we had hit the bottom two weeks ago and now there's going to be no no more volatility, we've gotten through it, that's too, that's too ambitious. But I, I also think for this to be a long, you know, multi-year protracted depression, I think might be a little ambitious as well. So I think um, given that, you know, how strongly banks and, and governments are responding to this, you know, like um, companies are de- developing vaccines right now. J- Johnson & Johnson announced they're, they're going to be doing trials in the fall um, with possible implementation in the field in the um, early part of next year. You know, I think there's reasons to believe that, um, you know, we, we do get through this in the, you know, definitely the intermediate term, kind of at worst. That, I think, you know, can give us comfort. Uh, that we are going to get through this, like we've gotten through everything else before. All right, thanks, Chris. Now let's let's turn to the ETF market. Uh, can you give us a couple of actionable ETF ideas to use in this environment? One, if you're bullish on the on the recovery, but two, on the other hand, if you're if you're a little more defensive, I know we have a lot of unique products that actually harvest volatility. So maybe there's a couple of things you can you can speak to there. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And I think we, you know, really. For the last couple of years, and I think, you know, maybe sometimes our clients got tired of us uh, saying this, but for the last couple of years, we've really been, we're focusing on those lower risk solutions as being, you know, late in a recovery, you know, focus on the lower risk solutions. And, and you know, kind of the big three, I think of there are low volatility, uh, quality factor and cover calls. So, you know, those three are, you know, equity kind of smart beta solutions that can take that broad data and transform it into something that's going to do a little bit better on the risk and return side. Low volatility for sure is our most defensive equity solution. Uh, We look for low beta stocks that uh, compared to the broad index will go down less and and they've certainly added value this year. Quality in terms of, you know, and I'll get to the bullish tilts in a sec. I'll just cover cover the bearish tilts first. Um, Quality is actually one I would say you know, every investor can benefit from quality, you know, whether whether they're a bit on the bearish side or the bullish side, I'd, I'd advocate for quality in the portfolio. Um, you know, quality in the U.S. has actually been um, the best performing strategy uh, in terms of broad beta or any smart beta strategy. So quality is only down about 7 or 8% this year, our U.S. quality strategy, uh, compared to the S&P at 13. Um, again, Large cap growth, which is large cap IT growth, which is overweight in quality, has held in reasonably well on the downside. You know, these are quality seeks to identify the best companies in the world, and those companies are better 
position to weather a financial crisis, you know, and as well on the upside, which we kind of had for the first two months of this year, again, those exposures are very much in favor. So um, I see quality as an exposure that is actually, you know, I'll speak on both sides of the fence. I think it's doing well on the downside as well as the upside. And then last, not, last but not least, cover calls. Again, we spoke last week on it in, in greater detail, but that ability to add to your income stream and to monetize the volatility environment, turn that volatility essentially into additional option income, you know, four or 5% of, of added income to the portfolio, that's going to give you a better buffer, you know, stocks move to the downside. That, that extra buffer is going to help. So I think those three strategies are, you know, really kind of core to, to a bearish approach. Um, on the more bullish approach, you know, as I mentioned, I would, I would throw quality in there as well. Um, this is a strategy, you know, like I said, it's doing better on the upside and the downside. So I think it's just a place that you want to have exposure to in the market right now. Um, another couple of ideas for the bullish would be, you know, outright dividends and in particular value. So I know value is kind of a, a forgotten uh, stepchild, if you will, of the last really 10 years since we've been in this market recovery. You have to go back to 09 when value really outperformed, but when value outperformed, you know, it did, it did so in, in spades. So you look at 2009 return of value, I, I believe it beat the index return by something like 20 to 30%. Um, so significant uh, outperformance. And that's, you know, that's what we expect at some point over the next, you know, between now and likely six months, you know, at some point in there, there's going to be a bottom, I believe. And from there, you know, as we move to through the early recovery, value is something to watch out for. I think dividends are also an exposure you can um, can look to add to. Again, our dividend strategies have a bit of a value tilt. Most dividend strategies do because when you're looking for higher yielding securities, you know, you have a higher yield because the price part of that equation is a bit lower. So lower price gives you a higher yield, all else being equal. So dividends also give you a nice, well-rounded exposure. Not as extreme as value, but 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 also some exposure to that value strategy and and um, the go forward you know uh, outlook for the dividend is pretty strong as well. So there's there's a lot there, but there's you know it's a lot of tools to play from. I, I would definitely you know advocate for quality. You know if it was me, you know we for the last two years I would say our our U.S. recommendation was half low ball, half quality. You know, I'd be tempted, you know, thinking about the levels of where equity markets are, you know, the relative valuation has obviously improved of maybe going one third, one third, one third, and adding dividends to that, to that smart beta mix as well to, to help participate in um, perhaps a value rally that's, that's going to be coming over the next year or so. All right. Thank you, Chris. Lots of good ideas there. I particularly like the the quality comments where whether you're bullish or bearish, it makes sense for your portfolio. So some strong messaging there. Now, let's let's switch gears and think about someone that's a little bit more on the fence, uh, sort of put off by the volatility and unsure which direction to go. A uh, recent ETF that we've introduced, uh, ZPay, Demo Premium Yield, this is really a dynamic strategy that that comes in and out of equity markets to a degree as, as stocks move up and down. So knowing that this strategy can dramatically shift its, its exposure, I, I think it's quite valuable in this, in this type of highly volatile market. So Chris McKinney, maybe you can spend a few minutes explaining this strategy and its relevance for today's markets. Thank you. 
Sure. Thanks, Mark. And I, I think you're right, uh, particularly for investors that are on the fence and trying to determine how to how to uh, gain exposure in these uh, in this market environment. ZPay, uh, the premium yield uh, ETF, does make a lot of sense. The way the fund works is we do have some exposure to equities. We want to find you know quality stocks that have low debt. Uh, you know, earnings consistency, which, you know, through this through this sort of environment, actually, you know, it's the type of stocks you're looking for. You just heard Chris Deeks talking a lot about quality stocks and how they can outperform on both the downside and the upside. So that's the, the similar type of the stock we're looking for in this portfolio. But we're underinvested. Um, we're not 100% invested in, in equities in this mandate. Uh, it takes a bit more of a balanced approach to investing. And, uh, you know, essentially leading into this market sell off, the fund was about 35% invested in equities. And what we do with the rest of that is, is put it in T-bills and sell put options to monetize volatility. What that does is gains a, a nice income stream, thus the name premium yield. It is a very income-oriented strategy that pays you a very nice monthly distribution. And, you know, entering this uh, sell-off again, um, only invested about 35% in equities. Just to give you an idea, the fund launched in January, and since inception, the total returns about three, minus 3.4%. Um, you know, the S&P 500 and Canadian dollars is down 14% in that time. So it gives you an idea of uh, the protection you have from just a pure equity sell-off because it is under-invested in equities. The interesting thing about it that you sort of alluded to there is that through the option overlay that we have, it does shift, uh, the strategy does shift the amount of equities that we can potentially hold in the portfolio. And what we have seen as the markets have sold off uh, is that we've actually started investing more in equities at lower prices and are thus participating a bit more in the rebound that we've started to see so far. I'll give you just one example here of one of the stocks in the portfolios. This might be better illustrated through through uh, some charts and graphs, but um, just try to visualize. You know, Nike is one stock that we do own in the portfolio. And towards the end of February, Nike's trading in the ninety low ninety dollar range. So as I mentioned, we do own a little bit of Nike in the portfolio. But the other thing we're doing at the same time is selling a put option on Nike. And what that does is um, earns income for us because we're selling the option. But it gives us the potential future obligation of buying Nike at a lower price. And in this particular case, the put option we wrote was for a $70 strike price. So again, Nike is trading in the low 90s. Um, I sell an option that requires me to uh, buy that stock should that stock go below $70. Now, of course, no one expected the significant uh, sell-off and the speed of that sell-off. But Nike did, in fact, drop below uh, seventy dollars for for a low period of, for, a, for a small period of time, and so we bought uh, a little bit more of that stock at seventy dollars, um, and now have enjoyed the rebound back up to eighty-two. On the other side of that, we're selling call options like we have done in our covered calls, and earning more income uh, for the uh, for the potential of selling that stock away once it does rebound. So I've had exposure. To the Nike, to Nike from seventy dollars back up to eighty-two, and I've earned income on both sides of that transaction as well. I've earned income by selling my put, and I've earned income by selling my call. And so, what you'll see again is a strategy that adds more equity exposure after market sell-off or as market sell-off, 
And then as markets rebound, we start selling off those equities again. So it's a nice real balanced approach to the stock market where you're not fully invested and so you're not going to get the full drawdowns. Uh, but at the same time, you're earning a very nice income stream uh, by running the option overlay. And of course, uh, I gave you one example. We're trying to do this many, many times in the portfolio across many, many stocks. Again, quality stocks that we would not mind owning, uh, in particular at lower prices if they do sell off again. All right. Thank you, Chris. I think that's a very interesting strategy for today's markets. And again, for those that are sitting on the fence, uh, it's a great way to have a disciplined approach to market exposure. So now let's switch gears to currency. We know that managing currency within advisor books can be costly and very difficult to implement. We also know that the Canadian dollar has not been immune to the recent volatility, uh, particularly with its um, exposure to oil. How can currency hedge ETFs help? And beyond that, just a brief comment or two on how these products work. How does that hedge get implemented over the course of uh, a month and longer? Are you seeing heightened interest, uh, particularly as we've gone through a quarter-end rebalance in either hedged or unhedged exposures? And I'll I'll send that again to Chris McCain. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, you know we have seen uh, a lot of more interest picking up in currency hedge ETFs recently, uh, as you suggested. So essentially, I'll, I'll just run through how that works to begin with. Um, you know, if you invest, if a Canadian invests in foreign equities, let's say uh, U.S. equities or the S&P 500, uh, the Canadian investor is exposed to two different return streams. The return from the stocks themselves, but then also the return of the U.S. dollar relative to the Canadian dollar. If you own U.S. stocks and the value of the U.S. dollar goes up, um, you're almost getting a double benefit. The stocks will go up and you'll get um, an increase in your U.S. dollar exposure as well, the value of those U.S. dollars relative to Canadian dollars. And that's an unhedged approach. What a currency hedge ETF does is essentially eliminate that second return stream, that currency return stream, uh, by, by using currency forward. Uh, we're actually shorting U.S. dollars, uh, and that should uh, sort of offset any increase um, in the U.S. dollar relative to Canadian dollars. And so what you're doing is isolating the return stream simply just from the stocks themselves. And so that, you know, obviously was a very popular strategy in the early 2000s, um, you know, kind of the double O uh, decade, uh, where the Canadian dollar was kind of increasing relative to the U.S. dollar consistently over several years. After 0809, that that strategy sort of got undone as the U.S. dollar became really seen as a safe haven through that market environment, and that's kind of how investors have a, have approached equity investing uh, in general to stay unhedged over the last decade or so. Uh, but now what we've seen with uh, you know the Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar going from about 130 um, up to 144, 145. Um, a lot of investors are now looking at taking any of those unhedged uh, exposures they had and moving them back into a hedge portfolio with the idea that, you know, after this sort of sell-off, after we go through this period, that U.S. dollar uh, is going to normalize relative to Canadian dollar and come back down as well. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, very valuable information there as well. We're certainly, you know, we see different strategies around currency hedging, whether it's a split trade where it's other times advisors are looking at ranges and moving between hedge and unhedge. It's an important way to capture some alpha for, from the portfolio. Final question for me, a word on rebalancing now that we 
come in through the quarter and rebalance. And of course, now, at least with equity markets recovering somewhat, uh, client statements are going to look a little bit better. But clearly, we're going to we've been seeing some trading into equity as sort of a forced trade against fixed income. Can you comment on what you're seeing in the flows, um, as well as you know, sort of risk appetite between those asset classes? Can you relate this to the experience within the ETFs? We've had a number of conversations uh, with index providers, with institutional investors, with advisors as to how they've approached this very unique quarter end. Um, and as well, with now lower embedded gains, there's an opportunity for people to be a little freer trading between products. So over to Chris Heeks, any comments on the quarter end rebalancing? Thank you. Uh, for sure, yeah. So client statements will look probably a little bit better than if they were printed 10 days ago. But, you know, overall, still, certainly with the equity drawdown, you know, most clients across the board um, following, you know, target models are going to be underweight equities, overweight fixed income uh, for the most part. And, you know, it, it, it sounds simple, but that's really the biggest, I think, structural trade that we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing it across the board from, you know, everything from retail um, to to fund companies, to institutional investors um, looking to deploy some additional cash into equities now. Um, definitely month end and quarter end is a time when a lot of uh, model-driven investors do that behavior. And uh, some U.S. brokers were estimating about $150 billion U.S. of, of uh, money was going to go into equities around month end. Uh, so we're seeing that trade. Again, the, the efficiency of ETFs and able to, to implement an exposure um, is right on point right there. Um, equity ETFs really have been uh, very solid throughout this whole um, crisis, and it's very easy to put on that exposure. Uh, fixed income, you know, the credit markets have been improving the last week and a half, and you're seeing credit ETFs and liquidity and fixed income um, is much better than it was um, even a week ago. So that's going to really um, allow these these trades to to grow go through efficiently, and then I expect to see uh, more of those as people you know invest to their targets. So it's um, you know definitely buying equities right now is is um, the trade we're seeing the most. Right. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I think that's interesting as well as as we've seen markets come off a little bit today, just uh, right past the quarter end potential rebalancing activity. So thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. We appreciate you listening to our experts speak. Uh, Hopefully you're getting some good uh, ideas and commentary that you can bring back to your client conversations. So with that, we will end the call. Please have a great day. And thank you once again for joining. Thank you to our panelists for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we learned how investors can use smart beta ETFs to reflect their bullish or bearish perspectives on U.S. and Canadian equities. At the same time, we discovered how BMO Premium Yield ETF makes it possible for investors to harvest volatility and earn income through the use of a disciplined option strategy. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon at A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. 
Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.